Welcome to The Metamorphic Mind, the podcast where I share my life and philosophies in hopes of getting people to think differently and to improve their lives. This episode is actually very special, as it's our first installment of the Role Model series. In these types of episodes, we will be delving into a fictional world to learn from the world and the characters who live there. To me, a good story is one where I'm entertained and I can learn something about myself along the way. This episode is part one of Disney's 1998 Mulan, and covers the beginning of the story up until the end of the song, I'll Make a Man Out of You. This episode covers the introduction to the world of Imperial China. We will learn of a looming threat that will be covered more in part two, but it will give us the backdrop of why Mulan eventually goes to war. We will then see the introduction of Mulan as well as her family. Mulan's character is meant to act as a contrast to the people and society around her. Mulan is asked to conform to a standard that she has tried and failed to fit in with, and will ask herself throughout the movie, is it wrong to be myself? Throughout the intro, we see that the culture is patriarchal, and the people have internalized the view that men are superior to women. Unwavered by what society expects of her, Mulan will forge her own path and will be forced to fit in as a man. Being that she doesn't fit in as a woman, maybe she will do better as a man. Because Mulan is put into this extreme position, the audience is able to learn from how she chooses to either give in or double down on what makes her different. Let's begin. After China has built the Great Wall, Shan Yu has made a big scene of climbing the wall. We will later learn that he wanted to be caught, and this establishes the driving force that will carry the rest of the story. In response to hearing of Shan Yu's ascension over the wall, the Emperor says this, Call up the reserves, as many new recruits as possible. I won't take any chances, General. A single grain of rice can tip the scale. One man may be the difference between victory and defeat. The Emperor takes this threat seriously and calls up all available warriors to stop Shan Yu. With the threat of the movie set up, we cut to Fa Mulan, who is preparing for her appointment with the matchmaker. In her first dialogue, she tells herself and the audience what women are expected to be in this world. Quiet and demure, graceful, polite, delicate, refined, poised, punctual. The audience can start to infer that because Mulan is forcing herself to practice what it means to be proper, she has not yet mastered what a woman should be. We then meet Little Brother, the name of the family's dog, which I think is hilarious. But Little Brother is important to the story because he is used to show that while Mulan is not good at being a lady, She is intelligent and resourceful. I say this because Mulan ties chicken feed to the back of Little Brother and puts a bone on a stick in front of him so that he runs around the yard and spreads the feed, thus doing her chores for her. This allows Mulan to take care of her father. In this next interaction, we are introduced to Fa Mulan's and Fa Zhu's relationship. Mulan is late for the matchmaker, yet Mulan prioritizes her dad's health over her duty as a daughter whereas Faju attempts to be patient with Mulan, but most of all, he wants her to fill her duty as his daughter. The doctor said three cups of tea in the morning, Mulan, Faju interjects, and three at night. Mulan, you should already be in town. We are counting on you to uphold the family honor, Mulan finishes. Don't worry, father, I won't let you down. Wish me luck, Faju instead says. Hurry, I'm going to pray some more. These interactions start to show the audience that the culture in China values upholding tradition and doing your part. Faju, being the older generation, has been raised to internalize these values, so he's doing his part to enforce that on Mulan. 
But Mulan, as we will see, is independent and is willing to put her father's health before her duty to the nation. The next scene serves to hammer in the ideals of the culture. Mulan gets ready with her mom and grandma for the matchmaker at what looks to be a bathhouse of some sort. Because this movie came out in the renaissance of Disney, this section is also portrayed through song. A worker sings to Mulan, We'll have you washed and dried, prim and polished till you glow with pride. Trust my recipe for instant bride, you'll bring honor to us all. Fali, Mulan's mom, sees that Mulan has written on her wrist and asks about it. Mulan explains that it's her notes in case she forgets something. Grandma Fa hands her daughter a cricket and says that they are going to need more luck than she thought. The song continues. Men want girls with good taste, calm, obedient, who work fast-paced. With good breeding and a tiny waist, you'll bring honor to us all. There are also lyrics written to show the greater culture and not just towards Mulan. Honestly, the song beats its audience over the head with these themes, but even so, with the tone of the music, I feel like people gloss over it and don't listen to the words that they are hearing. So rather than singing this part, I will state, A girl can bring her family great honor in one way, by striking a good match, and this could be that day. We all must serve our emperor, who guards us from the hunts. A man by bearing arms, a girl by bearing sons. Please look kindly on these cultured pearls, each a perfect porcelain doll. This song sells the message that men and women are held to a specific role and shouldn't stray from that, very blatantly telling the audience what the culture values in its members. We see that this message really weighs on Mulan. She knows that she doesn't fit the mold despite trying so hard. She sings, Ancestors, hear my plea, help me not to make a fool of me, and to not uproot my family tree, keep my father standing tall. Everything is riding on the matchmaker giving Mulan a favorable recommendation. Imagine a driving exam where the evaluator is sitting right next to the person pointing out everything that the driver is doing wrong. Yeah, that's the matchmaker, and boy does she have to point out a lot about Mulan. Speaking without permission, Mulan is too skinny, which as she puts it, is not good for bearing sons. She then puts Mulan through a series of tests to see if she is womanly enough for a match. Mulan stumbles through reciting a quote that is now smudged on her arm while also trying to deal with this cricket, who is seemingly trying to be a nuisance. The matchmaker then has Mulan pour tea while telling her to be poised and not to talk back. Unfortunately for Mulan, the cricket jumps into the tea. And through some convoluted means, the matchmaker sits on hot coals and her dress is lit on fire. Thinking quickly, Mulan fans the flames, only to make them larger. Finally, she takes the pot of hot tea and throws it on the matchmaker. You are a disgrace, the matchmaker says. You may look like a bride, but you will never bring your family honor. Crushed, Mulan goes home. Her father greets her with a smile, but she walks off to put away the family horse. All the while, the music for Reflection has started. As she starts to sing, we see that Fa Li tells Fa Zhu the bad news, but we are still focused on Mulan's singing. With this song, Mulan is asking herself the question from the start, is it wrong to be myself? She sings, Look at me, I will never pass for a perfect bride or a perfect daughter, can it be? I'm not meant to play this part. Now I see that if I were truly to be myself, I would break my family's heart. Mulan is at the lowest she's ever been. After bowing to the ancestors, 
Mulan looks at herself in the shrine, asking why she doesn't see who she feels herself to be. She is still in the makeup she wore for the matchmaker, and at first I thought this meant that she doesn't identify with being dolled up. But as the song continues, she wipes off her face and puts her hair down. She looks how she always has looked, yet continues to ask that same question. When I look at my reflection, why don't I see the person that I am? This symbolizes for the audience that as a woman, or as the woman she currently is, she doesn't feel like herself. For this reason, Mulan has gained a following from the trans community for how they can connect with this message, which I think is great if it helps people understand themselves more. Continuing on, right now Mulan feels discouraged because she has tried so hard to be what her family needs her to be, and she has failed, not even recognizing the person that she sees in her reflection. As the music fades, Mulan sits by a cherry blossom tree. Faju, her dad, walks with his cane towards Mulan as she hides her face from him. He sits down and we get to see how he treats his daughter after finding out she has not brought honor to the family. My, my, what beautiful blossoms we have this year. But look, this one's late. As he continues, Faju puts a hair clip in Mulan's hair. But I'll bet when it blooms, it will be the most beautiful of all. Although he is reserved, Faju is telling Mulan that it's okay, that she didn't do well with the matchmaker and that she may just be a late bloomer. He's not the slightest bit angry, trusting that she will grow to be beautiful in her own time. Before this moment is able to sink in for Mulan or the audience, however, we hear the sound of an alarm drum ushering everyone outside. It's a message from the Imperial City. Notice how Faju's temperament changes in this scene and think about why that could be. The Huns have invaded China! The Emperor's advisor yells, By order of the Emperor, one man from every family must serve in the Imperial Army. Family by family, Chifu calls men to collect the scrolls drafting them to war. During this time, we see a son volunteer in his father's place to go to war. When it gets to the Fa family, Faju is the only man in the house, and as such is now obligated to fight in the war. He hands his cane to his wife, puts on a proud face, and limps to collect his scroll. I am ready to serve the Emperor, he states firmly. Right before he is able to take his conscription notice, Mulan rushes past him. Father, you can't go! Mulan? Please, sir, my father has already fought bravely. Silence, Chifu, stops her. You would do well to teach your daughter to hold her tongue in a man's presence. Faju looks away from Mulan and tells her that she dishonors him. Mulan goes to speak again, but her words get trapped in her throat. Grandma Fa gently and quietly guides Mulan away from the men. Both bow their heads. Report tomorrow to the Wuzhong camp. Yes, sir. Faju takes the notice and limps back inside. His wife offers him the cane to take back, but Faju is a soldier now, so he keeps walking and enters the home. Unnoticed, Mulan follows behind him, and we see from her perspective Faju opening up the closet that contains his old uniform and sword. We see Faju unsheathing the sword and performs a routine that is clearly well-practiced. But in his current state, Faju trips and struggles to get up. With pain in his eyes, Faju brings the draft note to meet his gaze before letting his head fall to the pole that he used to stand. In that scene, we see how much of a burden being a soldier is for Faju. He hands his cane to his wife and doesn't take it back. He knows that he isn't going to be able to use it during the war, so he needs to see if he can stop using it. Without a word to anyone, he goes to practice, or maybe even to see if he's even capable of fighting any longer. When he realizes that he isn't, we can feel his dread. We continue to see in the next scene how this event affects him. We cut to everyone having dinner. All the audience hears is the clinking of silverware and Mulan pouring tea for her father and herself.
Mulan looks to her grandmother and then to her mother. Both look down before sipping their tea. The silence is deafening for Mulan. She slams her cup down, proclaiming, You shouldn't have to go! Mulan, Faju interjects again. There are plenty of young men to fight for China. It is an honor to protect my country and my family. So you'll die for honor. I will die doing what's right. But if you... I know my place. It is time you learned yours. Pain washes over Mulan's face before she leaves the room and goes to cry outside. Here, I think that Faju puts on a tough face and becomes harsh because he is scared. He doesn't want to go to war again, especially not in the condition that he's in. But he simply has to, and he knows it. Unfortunately, in doing so, he lashed out at his daughter, which will be the last time that Faju speaks to Mulan for a long time. Grandma Fa and Fa Li both slink down without a word because they too understand the situation that Faju is in, and they feel powerless to do anything about it. Cutting away to the next scene, we see that it's now nighttime and Mulan has been outside for a while crying. She looks down at a puddle and sees herself before looking up at her house. Through her eyes, we see the shadow of Faju attempting to comfort his wife by taking her hand. But overwhelmed and crying, Fa Li walks away from him. Faju then blows out the candle and leaves only darkness. As the music swells, Mulan comes to a realization and gets a look of determination on her face before leaving to the ancestor's shrine. Words will not do the scene justice. It's truly something to be experienced. However, once Mulan reaches the shrine, she lights an incense and prays to her ancestors before going to her parents' bedroom. Mulan takes the scroll drafting her father to war and replaces it with a clip that her dad used to tie back her hair. Doing so leaves a calling card for her family to know what happened, but it also is an item representing her femininity. In some ways, she is saying that she can't be a girl right now because that doesn't let her go to war for her father. She sees her reflection a final time as she unsheathes Faju's blade and cuts her hair with it. She ties it into a man bun and dresses in her father's armor before riding off to the war camp. An image of the shrine where Mulan placed the incense flashes on screen before cutting to Grandma Fa waking up startled. This is a cool nod that she is the closest to the ancestors and was alerted by them. Anyway, she wakes up the mother and father and tells them of what happened. Faju picks up the clip saying, it can't be. He uses his cane to quickly hobble to the closet where he finds it empty. He rushes outside, screaming, pleading for Mulan. In his haste, he falls, dropping her hairpiece in the process. He looks up as the gate of the outer wall swings in the wind. You must go after her, Fali says. She could be killed. If I reveal her, she will be. And now the stakes are set. We learn that Mulan is a woman living in a society where women aren't allowed to even speak in a man's presence. Everyone from the royal court to her mom and father tell her to do her part as a woman. She's supposed to be poised and prim, delicate. She's supposed to wed a man and bear children for the war. But no matter how hard Mulan tries to fit those expectations, she's unable to do so. Trying to fit the gender norms of the nation, she doesn't recognize herself in her reflection. Instead, we see that she is intelligent, stubborn, and caring. She chooses to do what's right, even if everyone tells her that she isn't allowed. She brings medicine to her father and tries to persuade the advisors to not force him to go to war. She persists, knowing that her father will die in the war and goes to fight for him instead. We see how the war affects the family. As soon as the message gets to them, everyone changes. Her father becomes cold and callous, and her mom and grandmother seem defeated and powerless. I think this first act shows us that the world and the expectations it places on us can have profound impacts on how we view ourselves. 
Why should Mulan have to feel like she is dishonoring her family by trying as hard as she can to honor them? Why should Faju be forced to put on a brave face when he is probably the most scared of them all? Grandma and Fa Li are an example of two people who have learned helplessness. We see that they have been beaten down and have lost their fight for change. I think we can learn from Mulan to not give up and to forge on, especially in the pursuit to finding ourselves. We're going to skip over Mushu's introduction because it has little relevance to the discussion. The important part is that Mushu is a small dragon and is an outcast guardian for the Fa family, who the ancestors send to wake up the most powerful guardian. Instead of waking up the guardian, however, Mushu accidentally destroys the statue and decides to go off to protect Mulan on his own. Thus, Mushu will either prove himself as a capable guardian of the Fa family, or he will become even more of a disgrace to the ancestors. In the next scene, we see the Hun army riding away from the village that they had just burned to the ground. There is a wide shot of the army, and there are hundreds of men on horseback. It's clearly a very menacing force as everyone is wearing dark clothes and holding spears or swords. We zoom in to Shan Yu as he gives the order to his men to search nearby. Two of his crew go off and quickly throw two people at his feet. Imperial scouts, one of the men says. We see how nonchalant Shan Yu is as he fixes one of the scouts' ascot. Nice work, gentlemen. You found the Hun army. The Emperor will stop you. Stop me? He invited me. By building his wall, he challenged my strength. Well, I'm here to play his game. Go! Tell your emperor to send his strongest armies. I'm ready. The scouts start to run away. But before they get too far, Shan Yu asks innocently enough, How many men does it take to send a message? While drawing an arrow to his lip, one of the archers simply says, One. We don't see the arrow leave the bow before the next scene. This is a Disney film after all. But I don't think that we need to in order to understand the threat that Shan Yu brings to the story. The ominous ease with which Shan Yu destroys is evidence enough that he is powerful and intends to cause mayhem to China. Hidden in the messaging of Shan Yu's words is a feeling of pride. How dare you build a wall to stop me? You insult everything that I have built by thinking that you can somehow protect yourself from my reign. This is the last we will see of Shan Yu in this episode, but we'll keep this in mind for part two. We catch up with Mulan, who has stopped just before the war camp in a forested area so that she can practice before heading in. What we see in this scene is that Mulan really has no idea how to act manly and starts to overcompensate for it. Excuse me, where do I sign? Ah, I see you have a sword. I have one too. They're very manly and tough. Seeing that Mulan is struggling, Mushu makes his grand entrance and explains that he was sent by Mulan's ancestors to help her through her journey. Unfortunately for him though, he doesn't look as grand as his confidence would suggest. You're, um, intimidating, inspiring tiny. After some back and forth, Mulan admits, I'm just nervous. I've never done this before. Mushu asked her to trust him, which she agrees to, and they head into camp below. Mushu coaches Mulan on how to walk like a man before sending her into the camp where she catches some odd stares from the men inside. Mulan sees one man picking his nose while another picks his toes with chopsticks. They're disgusting. No, they're men. You have to act like them, so pay attention. Here we meet Yao, Ling, and Qian Po, three of the men in Mulan's platoon that will become Mulan's closest friends during the time in camp. Narratively, these three also serve as representatives of what the average man is like in China. Through this scene, the audience will build some rapport with Yao, Ling, and Qian Po, as well as see how Mulan acts as a man. We also see that Mushu doesn't give the best advice regarding how to be a man. Mulan walks up to Yao and Ling, who are talking to another soldier who's showing off his tattoo. Look, this tattoo will protect me from harm. 
Yao thinks for a moment and then punches him in the gut. I hope you can get your money back, he says as Ling laughs at him. Seeing this, Mulan says that she doesn't think that she can do this. Mushu tells Mulan to be tough like Yao and says to punch him to say hello. She does as much, hitting him so hard that he flies into Qian Po. Apparently this was good advice because Qian Po says to Yao that he's made a friend. Mushu probably should have stopped there though, as he told Mulan to, and I quote, smack him on the behind. Once she does, Yao goes to deck her, but Qian Po, being about five times larger than Yao and barely fitting on screen, picks Yao up in a hug and gets Yao to chant with him. Feel better? Qian Po asks. Yeah. Ah, you ain't worth my time, chicken boy. Mushu apparently takes this personally as he yells to Yao. Say it to my face, you limp noodle! This time, Qian Po is not there to stop Yao from swinging at Mulan. Luckily for Mulan, though, she ducks under Yao's punch, leading Yao to punch Ling, who is standing behind her. In retaliation, Ling kicks Yao, who flies into Qian Po once more. Ling jumps into the pile and continues to beat on Yao, while Qian Po basically just lays there while the two brawl on top of him. This scene is important, as it establishes that not only did Mulan not fit in as a girl, she's also not fitting in with boys either, at least not when she puts on this persona of being tough and acting aggressively towards others. Even now, Mulan is being pushed to be someone that she isn't, and although this time she is asked to be a man, it's still not working for her. We also see that some of her assumptions about how men act are actually true. For instance, Yao starts the scene already having a black eye, and he's going to continue having a black eye for the entirety of the film, indicating that he is constantly getting into fights. And Ling isn't any better, as he encourages Yao to be violent and fights when he is wronged. Qian Po is the only one that seems to have any sort of restraint or calmness to him, until we meet Li Shang, who will be our primary male character going forward. Li Shang is the story's second main protagonist, and his presence will have profound impacts on the people he interacts with. We meet Shang in a war tent with Chifu, the Emperor's advisor, and his father, General Li. General Li discusses his plan to intercept Shan Yu before he is able to destroy a particular village. He explains that he needs someone to train the troops in his absence, and appoints Li Shang to do the honors. Chifu objects, saying that it might be wise to choose someone with more experience. General Li's decision is firm, and asks Shang to meet him when Chifu thinks the men are ready. Shang is ecstatic about the opportunity. I won't let you down. This is... I, I mean... Yes, sir. Shang stumbles over his words, showing how important being promoted to captain and training the soldier is to him. Unfortunately for him, when he walks out of the tent, he sees that the brawl from earlier is still raging. Except now it contains all of the soldiers in the platoon. Once the men see Shang approaching, everyone steps back to point at Mulan, who is curled up in a ball. Shang sternly asks for Mulan's name. Not knowing what to say, Mulan looks for Mushu for an answer. Mushu gives her two names she can't use for one reason or another, causing Shang to grow frustrated. Eventually, Mushu gives Mulan the name of, of an old friend, Ping. Shang then demands to see her conscription notice. He is taken aback when he reads out her father's name. Faju? THE Faju? Apparently, when Mulan said her father fought bravely, that actually meant something. Chifu comments his confusion, saying that he didn't know Faju had a son. Like any commanding officer, Shang doesn't reprimand Mulan for fighting and destroying the camp. Instead, he says, Thanks to your new friend Ping, you'll spend tonight picking up every single grain of rice. And tomorrow, the real work begins. Thus punishing Mulan by making everyone else in the platoon angry at her. In the next scene, Mulan is eating breakfast, getting another pep talk from Mushu on how to be manly. Now remember, it's your first day of training, so listen to your teacher and no fighting. Play nice with the other kids, unless of course one of the other kids want to fight. Then you have to kick the other kid's butt, again giving advice that hasn't worked for her. After the pep talk is over, Mulan goes outside of the tent 
to see that everyone has left and that she is late for training. The next scene sets up I'll Make a Man Out of You. During the song, we will see what the movie views as the ideal man. Before and during the song, though, we'll also see more rapport building with the three friends, as well as how confident Li Sheng is as a leader. At the training grounds, Li is practicing a martial arts pose while Qian Po and Yao watch. One of the unnamed characters jumps on the shoulder of another, and we see that these behaviors are meant to portray their manliness. Chifu calls everyone to order, but the men continue to mess around by giving Chifu food orders. I'd like a pan-fried noodle. Ooh, ooh, and sweet and pungent shrimp, Chanpo says. Mulan arrives moments later, and Ling asks if Mulan is hungry. Taking his friend's setup, Yao continues with, Yeah, cause I owe you a knuckle sandwich. Some of the other men also start to crack their knuckles behind them. Li Shang calls the men to order before any fights break out, however. As Shang says his next line, he takes off his shirt, revealing a chiseled back and chest. Soldiers, you will assemble swiftly and silently every morning. Anyone who acts otherwise will answer to me. Oh, tough guy, says Yao. With a bow and arrow in hand, Shang calls up Yao, who the men then set back from, revealing Yao, who looks less confident on his own. Shang first points the bow directly at Yao, but then points it up swiftly, shooting the arrow, hitting the top of a tall pole. Thank you for volunteering. Retrieve the arrow. Yao rubs his hands together, saying, I'll get that arrow, pretty boy, and I'll do it with my shirt on. Shang stops Yao before he is able to start climbing the pole, however, and says, One moment, you seem to be missing something. Shang holds up two large brass weights with straps in the middle and gives them to Yao one at a time. This, he hands the weight off, represents discipline, and this represents strength. With the second weight now in his hands, Yao falls to the ground with a thud. You need both to reach the arrow. Yao makes his attempt and gets a few feet off the ground before slipping. Even his teeth can't save him as he bites off a strip of wood on his way down. We then see the other men, one by one, attempt and fail to get any higher, Mulan included. We've got a long way to go, Shang says while rubbing the back of his neck. The song I'll Make a Man Out of You begins. There is a lot of storytelling that goes on behind the lyrics in the animation, so I will expand on what we see as well as what we hear one at a time. Starting with the action, Shang throws everyone a staff. Yao catches Mulan's staff and swipes her legs out from under her before dropping the staff on the ground. For the first line, Shang throws up two pots and breaks them on beat. Let's get down to business to defeat the Huns. Defeat, therefore, is accented in Shang's choreography. The platoon looks on in amazement that Shang did that so easily. Did they send me daughters when I asked for sons? Ling then puts a scorpion inside Mulan's shirt, causing her to swing around wildly and knocking everyone down. Mulan, being the only one to have any action, further singles her out as who Shang is unintentionally singing about when he says daughters. You're the saddest bunch I ever met. But you can bet before we're through. I strained the word bet as Shang gets hit in the gut, putting a stop to Mulan. He grabs Mulan and tells her the next line directly. Mr. I'll make a man out of you. Tranquil as a forest, but on fire within. Shang kicks up three apples during this time with a lever on the ground and shoots them with three arrows simultaneously, pinning them up against a tree. The other men try with only one apple and arrow, but are wildly off target. The next verse, Shang balances a bucket of water on his head. The men throw rocks at him, and he hits all of them with his staff. The following verse is for Mulan, who, her water bucket, 
falls almost immediately. Also, when throwing the rocks, we can see that Yao and Ling take pleasure throwing rocks at Mulan. Xian Po just looks at his rock softly rather than throwing it. So the lyrics go, Once you find your center, you are sure to win. You're a spineless, pale, pathetic lot, and you haven't got a clue. Somehow I'll make a man out of you. The next line, each of the friends singing. First Chen Po, next is Yao. Then comes Lang. I'm never gonna catch my breath. Say goodbye to those who knew me. Boy, was I a fool in school for cutting Jim. Next is the Fok crew with Mushu and then Mulan. Mulan spars with Shang and is kicked towards a tree where she hangs on it like a boxing ring. Mushu rings water on her with a towel and helps her back up. Jinpo then finishes this set of three people because he's leading the men in hopping between poles that are in a river and it will come back later in the song. These guys got him scared to death. Hope he doesn't see right through me. Now I really wish that I knew how to swim. Chenpo nearly falls, causing Shang behind him to have to stop abruptly. Shang plants himself firmly and doesn't waver when six or so guys crash into him. With each of these sequences, we've been seeing that Shang has been displaying his physical prowess far above the other soldiers. The next part is the traits that the movie advocates for. We must be swift as the coursing river, with all the force of a great typhoon, with all the strength of a raging fire. The men during this time are practicing with, quote, cannons, but they look more like giant matchsticks with a dragon's face for the match head that shoots out like a firework when used. The men fire at a hundal in the middle of a target. All the cannons fired miss, and we see that Lang kicks out Mulan's stand, causing her to have to hold the cannon herself. It blackens her face and shoulders as it arcs behind her to Chifu's tent. He had just stepped out of it, so he only gets his mustache singed off at the end. Mysterious as the dark side of the moon. This movie is great at making dynamic frames. And with that last line, we see a nighttime skyline of the camp. The camera was focused towards the shadow of the arrow from the beginning of the song. And we see the big bright moon behind it. The camera pans to Shang, who is sitting on a ledge on a hill looking down at the camp. Perspective wise, Shang is normal on screen. So everyone in the camp is tiny in comparison to make it seem like they are far away. So in this shot, we see people gathering around the pool, looking to end that part of training. I really do want to comment on the animation here because this movie was made in 1998 and looks fantastic, due in part to all the camera work and writing that went into every shot. Little character moments here and there that the animators took the time to think about and put into the movie. Anyways, the next shot is of Shang leading the men on a hike up a mountain. Each man carries weight on sticks that they put on their shoulders. The Emperor's advisor, who is on horseback during the hike, motions to Shang that Mulan is dragging behind. Shang turns his head and we focus on Mulan who trips and falls to the floor looking unconscious. Mushu and the Cricket are able to awake Mulan slightly, but she only opens her eyes fully when Shang picks up her weight and runs back towards the men. The final line talks about survival and Mulan's unconsciousness portrays how hard the men are being trained. Time is racing toward us till the Huns arrive. Heed my every order, and you might survive. And the next line, you're unsuited for the rage of war. Shang talks to Mulan directly once more, giving her the reins to con the family horse. We are back at the camp, and it's nighttime again. So pack up, go home, you're through. How could I make a man out of you? 
I want to point out that Chang has become less confident in his men throughout the song, as indicated by how he starts that reoccurring lyric. In order, it goes, Mr. I'll, somehow I'll, how could I? So Shang just handed Mulan her horse and told her that she was essentially discharged. She looks up to see the arrow still stuck firmly in the pole, no one yet to climb it. She gets the same look of determination on her face as the night when she left for camp. Rather than giving up, Mulan chooses to persist. At the very least, she is going to give it her all until morning, and if she fails, then so be it. When the next verse starts, Mulan gets an idea and takes the weight and swings them around the pole and into one another. That causes them to wrap around each other, causing the weight to be at the back of the pole, now actually aiding her in keeping friction, letting her stay up on the pole longer. Thus, Mulan has used her wit once more to make a huge disadvantage to her advantage. We must be swift as the coursing river, with all the force of a great typhoon. The chorus repeats. Mulan struggles and strains, overcoming the sunlight that starts to peek over the horizon. A crowd has formed under her, seeing how close she is to finishing. Their muffled cheers can be heard, encouraging Mulan, Ping, to go on. As the final lyric swells, With all the strength of a raging fire, we cut to Shang coming out of his tent, Mulan's time to climb being over. And over it is, because we then see the arrow fall at Shang's feet. Mysterious as the dark side of the moon. The camera looks up to Mulan, sitting atop the pole with the weights hanging off one shoulder. The men around her start to cheer. The chorus, we must be swift as the, is repeated once more. On screen, we see the men cycle through all the challenges they faced before, but now they are acing each and every one. For example, Ling breaks the cement block with his head that he previously broke his teeth on. We see Yao catch Mulan's pole again, but rather than swiping her off her feet this time, we see that he gives it to her with a friendly smile, showing us how much the men have changed during the song. The last successful trial that we see on screen is of the Hundal getting hit with a cannon. Now comes the discussion on the chorus and the greater narrative. Swift, with the force of, or strength of, mysterious. Those are the qualities that a man should have according to the song. The more that I think about it though, the more I feel that this song should be looked at as more of a hype song rather than a teaching song. There's a time and place to learn. And I think there's also a time to sit back and just enjoy. These lyrics specifically, I think we can just brush off and learn from the actions of Mulan instead. Like when she chooses to fight in the war so her father doesn't have to. She already failed her family, and going to fight for her dad could be a way Mulan could bring honor to her family. Even though her father hurt her, she couldn't see her father go back to war. I think that's one of the most human actions a person can take. To choose to help the world even when other people haven't helped you. I very recently finished an audiobook version of The Way of Kings on Libby, and one of the lessons that I talked on is being the first to start. If good is ever supposed to exist in a world of evil, someone has to do what's right first even when they have been wronged. It also talks on not getting apathetic to the problems of the world. That caring can be used to give you strength to fight for others. Like in Mulan's case, doing the right thing can very easily be made much more challenging if our environment doesn't support us. Mulan could have easily thought, I am just a girl. I'm powerless to make any changes. Or more specifically, she could have also thought, Why help my dad? Know my place, he says. Go die for your honor then, and stayed home. Instead, Mulan chose to awkwardly learn how to be a man, train like a man with only men to have the captain compare her to, and risk getting caught and killed for being a woman. That took sacrifice for sure. Now I wouldn't say to do this if you aren't getting anything out of the deal though. 
Where else would Mulan be encouraged to be herself than in this platoon? Everywhere else in the country hates who she is. And I think living in a man's world allows Mulan to spread her wings. Instead of the blossom analogy that the movie uses, it's more like an infant who can't roll yet, specifically in the morning. See, when an infant can't roll yet, it's safe to have their arms swaddled beside them. But all they want to do in the morning when they wake up is to stretch their little armies into the world. So when you unswaddle them, they are able to do what comes naturally to them. For Mulan, I think the world swaddled her being. And when she was able to free herself from her constraints, it allowed her to flourish. There's certainly more I could talk about in this section of the movie, but I will save them for the next episode to tie back into the first half of the movie. If you liked what you listened to, please leave a rating and follow for more episodes. The Role Model series takes longer to script, record, and edit, so the next episode will be in two weeks to allow me adequate time to put out quality content. If you never want to miss when I upload, click the notification bell so that the platform notifies you when I post another episode. Thank you for listening, and I hope to see you soon. Peace.